You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Land of Legacy podcast. I'm your host, Adam Keith. Matt Dye's actually out in Virginia this week. He took the holidays and uh, headed back east to his hometown to celebrate Christmas with his family. And so it's just me this week, and we're kind of, uh, you know how much of a history nerd I am, especially when it comes to the natural history and everything that's kind of gone on in this country. And for me, I just love reading books and talking to people um, that can really dial it back and talk about what was going on um, back in the day and uh, for me I've always heard about all the quail that we used to have but not many deer not many turkey and we all know the story with the National Wild Turkey Federation and how they restocked and basically brought back the wild turkey I just always enjoy things like that and this week I'm very excited um, because I've actually got somebody here that has been around for a long time and he's actually um, not only just been around, but he's been in the side of agriculture, uh, was a passionate hunter, and he is with us here today. That's actually my granddad I'm talking about, um, Junior McVeigh. He's 93, and he's seen a lot of things. Uh, I asked him before he came on to the podcast if he ever expected his life to turn to being in a podcasting world. Um, we've gone from way back in, in the... Uh, southern missouri to germany in world war ii now we're here in front of a microphone grandpa give us a little bit of history of course born and raised in southern missouri um basically what year was that 93 i'm trying to do the math what year were you born 24 24 1924 and in those days basically of course in my in my life in those towns there was a few industries my dad worked at the one or works at the one here in Mansfield kind of, but back in those days, what were the people, how'd they make their living in the Ozarks? It was just farming is about the only thing Yeah, we did. And then back then, because there wasn't any factories. They, when the shoe factory moved into Mansfield was one of the first factories that I remember coming into the country. So when you say farming, the people were making their living by milking cows? Milking cows, yeah, mostly milking cows. It was, uh, we, that was during a Great Depression. Yeah. There wasn't any money. 
and what little people made they ma- just made off the land. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. and and when I hear you talk a lot in those days about about the the farming, it was basically it. It seems like you weren't just a one species type farm. You had chickens. You had maybe ducks. You had goats. You had beef cows. You had a few dairy cows. Hogs. Hogs. Yeah. Uh, a horse. It seemed like everybody had horses. Of course, yeah. they. I guess they had to use the horses for working them. That's what we were farmed with, horses. Okay. So you were farming with horses, pulling plows. Yeah. And so not only were you, in this day and age, it's like you're a beef farmer, you're a dairy farmer, or you're a crop farmer. But in those days, I'm guessing you were a little bit of everything. You had to be a little, <laughs> and very little of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you had your cows, and you had you basically had the whole assortment of of farm animals but then you also planted i've heard of people planting cane and all kinds of so you basically crop farmed and everything else most people put out cane to i put out a a patch of cane so they could uh take it to the sorghum mill they would be a sorghum mill somewhere in the country so they put planted the cane for the sorghum mill and They'd take all the farmers around would take this one sorghum mill, huh? And and make molasses. Make molasses, yeah. Yeah. What about back in those days? Did people have beehives? I'm just curious. Yeah, there was some. Yeah, I remember sticking up, sticking one. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure you were up to no good back in those days. Um, so basically, everybody was farming. Is that what your family did? Yeah. Milk, yeah. milked a few cows. Milked a few cows. And had a hog or two. It was, everybody was poor back then. You can't, you, to your imagination, I don't think you can realize how poor this country was then. Yeah, and that was right before, I guess that was during the Depression, like That's you said. during the Great Depression, yes. So, and that kind of what led you to, we'll do a little bit of your life history, that's what kind of led you to moving to Washington to work in the orchards. Yeah. Yeah, so you went out there to work on apple orchards. Yeah. And, uh, and then during that time, that's when the war broke out and you enlisted. What yeah. year did you enlist? 43. 43, 1943, you enlisted. And you were there for how many years? Uh, two. Two. Two years. And then you came back and you moved back out west. Right. Correct? Yep. And uh, what year did you end up moving back to Missouri for good? 48. 1948. You moved back. And that's when you started working for MFA. No, I, well, okay. I started farming. <laughs> okay. You started farming. Yeah. Yep. And so what were you farming in those at that time? I was milking a few cows, farming with a team of horses. Okay. Putting up hay, corn, oats, whatever. Okay. And were you were you doing that for multiple people or doing that on your own land? Doing it on my wife's uh, father's land. Okay. So the, the in-laws' land. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Okay. And you did that for how long before you started working for the MFA? Now about two years. Okay, so you realized you couldn't, it was going to be a tough living doing that, basically. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so you took the job with MFA, and for people that aren't from Missouri, that's the Missouri Farmers Association. Um, basically, in those days, they were a lot, there was a lot, they were a lot more involved with things like, uh, I know you told me you guys sold produce or yeah. and, and sold eggs and everything like that. Now, they're more of like a feed store. 
Um, to me, I for a lot of people, uh, like a tractor supply um, that you see across the country, that's kind of what the MFA here in Missouri, Missouri Farmers Association, it's more like a feed store and, and a farming equipment store. But back in those days, you sold, you had people bring you eggs and all kinds of different stuff you guys sold. We bought eggs, chickens, and uh, uh, we'd have guineas, ducks, and everything. Huh. Had producers produce in Springfield. We'd crate them up and take them up there. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, so basically, that and that's kind of a, in a roundabout way so everybody can get an idea. Um, and you worked at MFA for how many years? 40 years. 40 years. Wow. Um, so you worked at MFA for 40 years doing all – I know you've said you've done all kinds of different stuff. At one point, you were driving a truck for them. Um, uh-huh. Was that – hauling like fertilizer and lime no hauling feed mostly okay hauling feed feed, sack feed okay gotcha um so basically that's kind of for me what i wanted to go into this podcast um since matt's in virginia and it's like you know what it's the holiday season everybody's usually with their family it's a great time for me to interview you um basically the same interviews i've been doing for my entire life but now giving other people a, a chance to to kind of hear what we have, uh, what you have to say, and 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 the change that you've witnessed. So when you were a kid, you were hunting probably for food, right? More than pleasure, um, uh, and also fishing. What were fishing, what were you hunting? We then the, we only had uh, rabbits and squirrels and raccoons and, and possums, and we had no raccoons. Yet. Okay. If you heard of a raccoon, well, it was way off somewhere. Okay. So uh, our main hunting was squirrels and rabbits. Were there many quail? Yeah, but we didn't. You didn't have the guns. We didn't to have it. the <laughs> got them. Yeah. But we hunted the squirrels to eat and the rabbits to sell. We take the rabbits and into produce and sell them for ten cents or a quarter or something like that. Okay. Wow. So you were basically hunting the squirrels to eat. And the rabbits to sell. Okay. And the possums, we'd hunt possums to sell the hides. Skunks, I didn't go too much on the skunks. That's <laughs> mostly trapping them. Gotcha. So but, you were trapping in those days. Yeah. What kind of what kind of traps? Just a regular spring trap. Okay, trap. like a foothold trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'd... Skunk hide was a pretty good price. Yeah. Possum hide wasn't worth much. Yeah, I don't think it's worth and much so, today either. No. Some people eat the possums too. Did you ever eat one? No, I've tasted them. But yeah. I never. What about groundhogs? Were there many back in those days? Groundhogs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But we didn't pay much attention to them. Yeah. Huh. Well, and, and, of course, there wasn't many de- many deer. There wasn't any deer. I, the first deer I ever saw was in the state of Washington. Okay. I never saw a deer or a turkey in this country yeah. until the conservation come in and and started. got them started. Okay. And they, yeah. you know, and, and conservation, so, boy, I tell you what, they've done an outstanding job. Really? Yeah. They they've done a lot of great things. Um, We'll get into more of that here as we start talking to some of the other stuff. In those days, they helped bring the turkey and the deer back. Yes. Um, 
And and so and I think I remember this right now. You've killed. You were a passionate quail hunter, but you killed. I, I know you. I, I don't think you've ever shot a wild turkey in in nope. here because I've taken you some, and you always think we're crazy because you used to raise turkeys, and you talk about how stupid they are. So. Um, what about a deer? I think you've killed two deer in your life. If I remember right, one of the first one had to be in Germany, right? Right. First one was uh, probably a roe deer or, or whatever. I think it's a roe deer that they oh. have in Germany. Yeah, a little bitty thing. A little bitty thing. You said it wasn't any bigger than a dog. <laughs> and the second deer you killed, you said you almost, Grandma almost left you because you it was like a deal way back then and you shot one. Yeah. Um, and, and you weren't sure if it was even season or not and she was so mad at you. Yeah, that was that was my last deer. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been quite the ordeal if you haven't killed a deer since. Um, but here, there were no deer or turkeys before the war. When did you see the first deer here in southern Ozarks? When I come back Ozarks. in 1948, yep. when I moved back here, yep. I saw two cross the road. Yeah. That's the biggest thrill of my life. <laughs> so I really, you know, growing up without seeing them and having them in the yard and everything, I have no big driving urge to kill a deer. Yep. Or a turkey. Yeah. <laughs> so you came back, and that's when you started seeing a few more deer. Mm -hmm. And and that was right when the MDC was starting to really try to transfer them and repopulate areas. Same At the same time, they're starting to try and do this with turkeys, if I remember right. Kind of the right. 40s and 50s was when they really started that. And where when did you see the first flock of turkeys? Oh, I can't remember. But it was sometime probably yeah. in that same, yeah. that same time period. Later on in that period. Okay, yeah. They also uh, transplanted the coons, brought the coons back in there. Okay. And and that's when, I know you said you coon hunted quite a bit, right? Yeah. And that would have been, what years were the Oh, that was in the 50s. Okay. You started seeing more raccoons and yeah. more, and of course there was always possums. <laughs> I always say, I, you know, people make the comment that I think the, uh, if if the whole world went to a mess, there'd be a few things left, and it would be Cerisa lespediza, eastern red cedar, and the animals they always say is the coyote. And I've got to throw the possum in there because it seems like the possum is always there. They're always there. Always. And so there's always been possums that you can remember, and, and you've tried one and, and doing all the hunting and stuff. But So you never really hunted the deer a whole lot. But when did you – I know you said there were quail when you were a kid – but you didn't have the gun, or, and certainly you no. couldn't afford the ammunition to start shooting at a flying bird. So when did you start quail hunting? Uh, I was in the 60s sometime when I really okay. got into it. And that's when, that was kind of like the, the golden years of, mm -hmm. or the golden yeah. period of quail hunting was the 60s. I got my first dog. Got your first dog. What kind? A setter. A setter? Yeah. Really? Okay. What If you could say, if you're a quail guy or a quail hunter, what was your preferred what what kind of quail dog are you? What what kind of guy are you for that? I one? like the setter. You like the setter, so you were a setter. Guy. Although I had a, a real good pointer that I hunted with him. Yeah, is that Rowdy? Who was what was Rowdy? What kind was he? Rowdy was a setter. Oh, was he? Okay. He got the name, honestly. <laughs> gotcha. So, um, you were basically a quail hunter in the sixties. That was kind of, that's, that's for me what this whole podcast is going to be about is kind of the change that you saw 
back in those days. So when you moved back in 48 and you're talking about farming, what was like, let's just say the average landscape, was there a lot of open fields or was there a lot of closed canopy? Now, now today's forest is this mature closed canopy forest. There's not a whole lot of underbrush in most places here in the Ozarks and across the country for that matter. But what was it like back in those days? Well, the fields were small fields. When you say small, how many acres? A 10-acre field was a pretty good-sized field. Yeah. And uh, we farmed them, of course, with horse. Yeah. And uh, But we didn't have those bulldozers in, dozing the timber off from fence to fence then. Yeah, or or ridge to, or deep holler to deep holler. And the timber was pretty open. Pretty open? Pretty open, yeah. Now, you told me a story one time that I find interesting. I think back as... And I've a uh, follow-up question was, was there much logging going on? You told me not really. No. But the other side of that to me was, okay, you told me when you were four years old, you rode into town with your grandpa on a stack of stave logs. T- uh, ties. 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 Yeah, know? they they cut ties back then. So. Railroad ties. Okay. And hewed them out with an axe. Oh, wow. A broad axe. Did yeah. you ever see a broad axe? Yeah. Yeah. And there's some people that could use those and hew ties. So there wasn't like a logging, like like right now we have a logging crew on our farm. There wasn't that. No. But what about, it seemed like from what I've gathered that if a man owned 20 acres, he just throughout the years kind of cut a few trees off the, off the place himself and hauled those logs into town and sold them for tie logs or whatever. Was that usually that kind of, what they got it then was cordwood okay and haul it in as far as i was trying to think of a sawmill around then i can't think of a sawmill gotcha so but there was some there wasn't like these huge logging operations but there was like trees getting cut by people throughout the year to go and sell yeah cut stay bolts okay and cordwood and then and they cut uh uh regular firewood sold by the rig Okay. Yeah, so there was a lot of cutting going on. That's probably why the tree, when you say mm-hmm. the, the timber was kind of open, was yeah. there was always cutting going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So basically a 10-acre field, and then you had way more timber. We had way more timber than we had open field at that oh, point. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't like closed canopy timber. It was more like a trees, but also had lots of grass and underbrush growing underneath it. Yeah, there's a lot of underbrush. Yeah. When you say, was there a lot of blackberry patches back in those days? Yeah, I don't know. Fields. A lot of the fields had blackberry patches, and and uh, people took care of them then. Yeah. Because uh, every family canned a lot of blackberries. We pick them wild blackberries and gooseberries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Do you remember many raspberries back in those days? No. Really? Don't remember many. Well, they're everywhere now. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Now, um, another thing, we, and as you don't know this, Grandpa, but everybody that listens to this, Matt's the note taker. Matt usually has all the huge sheet, and I just fill in the gaps. So it's a little bit different for us this time when Matt not here. But I've got a whole list of things I want to ask you, but there's so many follow-up questions that I'll try and keep on track. But 
So a 10 acre field was about the biggest one that you can remember, but there was probably a lot of five and two acre fields yeah. and then a lot of just, um, wood lots, but op- semi open wood lots because there was constantly cutting trees and hauling off the logs. And then a few years later, you'd cut a few more trees, um, to haul off those logs as they grew up. Is that probably, is that correct? It was mostly, uh, cutting it for cordwood. Okay. And for, uh, Stay bolts. That was a big okay timber deal. And but but instead of hi- having somebody come in and cut it for you, you just cut them yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about what about um, cedar trees back in those days? Do you remember many cedar trees? No, no, it wasn't many. What just about a few white, small ones? Yeah, small ones that didn't get burned up. That missed down the last around fire. Bradleyville. It was more. Yeah, and and if you for people that aren't from this country, Bradleyville south of where kind of where mm-hmm. Grandpa grew up, where I grew up, and it's more glady country. Do you remember um, back in those days? Now we call them <laughs> it's bad, but cedar glade, but it's actually a glade, the Ozark glades. Mm-hmm. Um, back in those days, that was and and still to this day, they're they're mostly made up of native grasses and forbs and wildflowers. Um, do you remember those back when you were a kid? Do you remember areas around here being glades? Yeah. Yeah. In those days, was there even many cedars on them? No. And But they still grazed them, I'm sure, because you grazed pretty much everything yeah. you could. So were there any areas, whenever you had your cows, was there many areas that weren't grazed or was pretty much everything grazed? No, it was pretty well grazed. Even the woodlots? Yeah, the cattle run everywhere. Yeah. So pretty much... You we had, didn't didn't have tame pasture then. Most of it is wild pasture. And when you say wild pasture, you're talking like native grasses. Native grasses and stuff. Yeah, native grasses, and then you had lespedezas, and mm-hmm. and we're not talking Cerisa lespedeza, but we had most of the time when you say lespedeza back in those days, it was Korean, Korean, Korean or Kobe. Uh, Korean, just mostly. Korean mostly. Okay. Um, so hardly any cedars, and that goes into the, my next question: How I, and I love the answer you gave last time, but uh, when I said, what was burned? When when people burned off their land, what was that pretty much, what was burned? Everything? Everything. <laughs> I, I remember you telling me, I, that was your spot, your answer last time, as I said, what, what did they burn? And you said everything. Um, the woods, the fields, pretty much anything that wasn't a, a house. Yeah. Is that, so... How did they go about lighting it? Did they, was it? <laughs> just a match. <laughs> so you just took a match and, yeah. and w- did that matter what time of the year? Or was it mainly in the spring? Well, in the spring, they thought it got rid of a lot of ticks. Okay. So they burned pretty much before green out or before the green up in the spring. So yeah. February, March, April, right. they were burning. Anytime mm-hmm. they could carry a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember ever, ever a time where like the fire got so bad, like somebody's like, Oh, so-and-so almost burned their place down. No. So it's pretty bad. much yeah. just in those days in my, I'm going to guess that everything was burned so much that there wasn't these catastrophic type fire or big fires. Cause <clears throat> well, was, uh, now you remember it was pastured heavy. Mm-hmm. And uh, unless it's in a timber, there yeah. wasn't much to burn. Yeah, it was and basically even leaf in the litter. timber is pastured down pretty heavy. Gotcha. So, what about now? One of the biggest things for quail, I guess, uh, survival is shrubby 
like young trees and other and plums and things like that. Was that pretty well everywhere too, even in the pastures? Yeah, fence rows. Yeah, and oh, uh, gullies, you know, would have brush and stuff growing up in them, and fence rows. Uh, they, they, we had a lot of native color a cover in this uh, what we called a, a sage grass. This wild grass, you don't see too much of it now. This grass that grew up like oh, just like a. a you know, a lot of times people when they say sage sage grass or I, I hear that a lot in today's world and it's always broom sedge yeah it's a sedge but it's kind of like yeah a, is that similar to what that was it yeah okay so it's like broom sedge where and i think the name the reason why it got the name broom sedge was it was it grew so thick in a little cluster that i think on the prairie probably in in the settlement times they were making cutting the clumps and tightly packing it together and turning them into brooms Probably. If I remember right, that's I think that's how that got its name, Broom's Edge. So, um, so there was a lot of like clumpy grass, mm-hmm. but you also now that you brought up an interesting point. But during those times, you said they were grazing everything, yeah. and this was probably the fifty four late forties and fifties. Yeah, and they and I'm sure this is when you're starting to see more and more hard grazing, grazing a lot closer to the dirt. And that's when we really got into this whole, we needed something else. And that's where fescue got introduced, correct? Yeah. Tame pasture come in then. Yeah. And fescue was supposed to be the lifesaver of it all. Yeah. And that was, I think, in the 50s, probably. I think, if I remember right. Yeah, I fescue think was probably in the 50s. In a, yeah, in the 50s. Yeah. And, and it wasn't everywhere, obviously, but, like, it, it, the first couple of farmers started planting fescue. Hmm. And that was, at that point little bit of history on especially in this country was the cattle farmers were starting to really go broke because they were running out of grass because they were all they had was native grasses and forbs which couldn't be grazed into the dirt and so they were grazing them and they weren't coming back and so they started trying to find this saving grace and that's where the fescue was introduced and they realized fescue was great at grazing you could graze in the dirt and it just keeps coming back of course, this sedge grass cattle didn't eat. They didn't eat, yeah. Uh, during the drought, people practiced taking molasses and then a sprayer and spraying it. Uh-huh. And they would eat it, you know, when they put molasses spray this stuff. <laughs> uh, I never heard that one. Yeah. Had to put spray molasses on the broom sedge yeah. to get them to eat it. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and so in those times, 40s and 50s, did you ever see a bush hog? Uh, it was late in the 50s sometime, the first time I saw one down in Arkansas. Gotcha. So up in, and that's where kind of the bush hog is, and now what we know is the bush hog is you bush hog off your pastures in the fall or in the late summer to kind of clean them up, and that takes care of the shrubby stuff that we talked about earlier and how that's so important for quail, and we bush hog them now. That's and, I, why, and I think everybody's got a bush hog now. Yeah, that's why we had so many wild blackberries and stuff like that. Then they didn't have those bush hogs to cut them down. Yeah, and the quail liked to take cover in them. They good 
quail cover in there. Yep. Good quail cover and then and kind of what we just talked about. You said back in those days there was all kinds of Lespediza, which was a this was one thing interesting. Um you told me before, but whenever you whenever you were quail hunting, and we're kinda still in the forties and fifties right now, but um when you were quail hunting, we'll get there, but um you always cut in, looked at the crop to see what the quail was eating. And it was all uh, uh, always there was a lot of cerisa. Uh, wow, no. there was always Korean lespedeza <clears throat> seed, right? Korean. Yeah, you saw a lot of that. What about? And I think you even told me you've seen acorns. You saw post acorn, post oak acorns, little post oak yeah. acorns, and then any wild weed seed like ragweed. You, stuff so like you that. had you remember a lot of ragweed back in those days? Yeah. Yeah. Um, trying to think of some of the other species what about these like cone flowers the echinacea do you remember those being around we had cone flowers but i don't know that gotcha anything yeah huh so a majority of the time though you were seeing uh lespedee korean lespedee's seed and post oak acorns yeah huh um so it's it's the 50s and 60s that transition if fescue has been introduced and now, at that same time, you tell me that's where you saw the first bush hog was yeah. in the late 50s. Um, how quickly was it before you started seeing more and more bush hogs? Oh, they come on pretty fast. Oh, I imagine so. Yeah. That was like, okay, bush hog, plant fescue, this yeah. is the saving grace right here, I'm sure. Yeah, this of bush hogs. Uh, we had several people killed on them. Yeah tractor turnover yeah. in those days what the tractor uh, was it still what was the what was the most common tractor you ford, little ford tractor little ford what about the john deers that are more like a tricycle type uh you they wasn't too many a tricycle yeah i didn't figure because around here they rolled over so much uh, but huh a little ford um so what about so you were burning Everybody was burning, and then that led into um, overgrazing, and then the introduction of the fescue, of fescue, and then bush hogs. But also, this is kind of the same time when people really started um, dozing. When was the first dozer you saw? <laughs> well, the first dozer I saw these building government ponds. Okay. And then they started this, well, <clears throat> you know, down by Thornfield, when you go up uh, 95 there from Thornfield towards uh, the lake. Yeah. All that used to be in timber when mm -hmm. I go through there. I drove truck through there. Yeah. That's all in timber. Now, now it's, it's all fescue pasture. Skinned off, and I don't know that it's a good idea. Yeah. Well, that's a whole podcast in itself. What about, so at that point, 10 acres was about the biggest field. Now we're starting to see the dozer come in, and now that's where we're getting these huge fields. We're getting yeah. bigger fields. And and you were quail hunting. That was probably in the 60s when you started seeing that more, right? Yeah. And But that was the golden age of the quail for you was yeah. the 60s. So 60. it was like this race between awesome quail hunting and quail habitat plummeting right yeah yeah you know about the time you started hunting late that's 80s when the, that's when the quail started 
really fallen. Yeah. And, and you know, I think for you, it was a little bit, um, you kind of got to enjoy the quail hunting more than others um, for a longer period because it was in the early 80s for a lot of people when, when the quail numbers started falling. Yeah. We got to last at least, I say that's one of the cruelest things my dad and you ever did was introduce me to quail hunting right about the time it was it was over because it's like hey check out this awesome sport um of quail hunting oh by the way it's going to be over in three years so enjoy it while it lasts um for me you know that's my earliest memories of hunting was the quail hunts i don't remember i remember the fishing trips but it wasn't squirrel hunt it wasn't rabbit hunting it was always the quail hunts um and we actually had the farm that we hunted close to here to where there was no fescue. He never really jumped on a fescue. Nope. And and I look back, and I'm sure we could go jump up some coveys over there today. I figured we could. Um, when you drive by that farm, there's two things I see that I'm like, I know why there's quail there. There's no fescue, and there's shrubs everywhere. Yeah. He bush hogs, but it's like every three years. And so there's always this two years of sapling growth and then he has open timber yeah back yep with grass under him yep for sure um what about herbicides back in those days was there many people spraying out stuff late it was later on in the years when herbicides really come on Mm -hmm. the main one then was a 245T that was a good brush killer. It was this one they used in uh, Vietnam, you know, that they... Agent Orange. Agent Orange. 245T. Yeah. Huh. I know I... They put a... We knew they was going to put a hold on it. And a guy from Texas come down. and A Texas guy from Arkansas come up. Bought every bit I had because it wasn't going to affect Arkansas. Ah. And I, I had about 30 gallon then. Wow. 245T, Agent Orange. So in those days, that's kind of scary for some people because they think about how bad it was in Vietnam. But here we were. We were using it, but it was just under a different label yeah. here. Yeah, they probably was using it out of planes there, though. Yeah, that that was spraying the worst part. They were sp- spraying mm-hmm. the entire country over yeah. there. And here we were just... And it was great at killing shrubs, basically, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I imagine so. It's a good brush killer. <laughs> yeah, so good they took it away from it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so basically, and that was happening, I guess, Vietnam was the late 60s and early 70s. So they were probably getting rid of 245T herbicide during the yeah. 70s, I'm guessing. Yeah, I don't remember just when we had when they put a stop to it here. Yeah. They stopped all sales on it. Hmm. And so that was, and when you look at the quail, and of course they love the shrubby species, and they love native grasses and forbs, and they also love the open timber and fire, and then during this time frame it all started going away. They started being smaller, or there was smaller fields too and woodlands, and then it went to big fescue pastures, no fire, still overgrazing. Um, which even continues today, but then we started killing out all of the oak sa- or the the saplings or the the shrubs with the herbicides. So 
What about when you were quail hunting? I know, I know for me, that's kind of the interesting thing with you, but, um, how many quail back in those days, the sixties, where'd you jump up in a day? Oh, sometimes you'd get up six, eight coveys. Yeah. And that's just, yeah, you so, hunted all day though, right? Yeah. Did And you never chased singles, right? Uh, in those days. Not too bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not when you keep after coveys. Yeah. Huh. And and it was always, what about, for for me, what I remember and, and about it was, it wasn't, and, and now looking at kind of what they need, they always say they need they need some uh, hardwood, some sort of escape cover, some sort of covey headquarter, was even the fields, now the fields were, when you say they were still wild, and they had grasses, were there like plum thickets or sassafras groves, things <clears throat> like that? Sassafras, yeah. I did, they was a few plum thickets, but not too many. Not too many. That's more of a western thing, prairie type setting. Uh, um, huh. That's uh, it's always interesting to me. So, very few. Whenever this fescue in the sixties and seventies, now you started seeing probably more quail and more, or more more deer and turkeys. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Huh. Um. What about uh? For me, now this is kind of. For, for when I think and kind of looking at the history and in last week's podcast, we devoted it to the Eastern Red Cedar and how much they've taken over. And I mean, if I took you out right now, you'd see way more cedars in five miles driving down the road and you probably saw across the whole countryside. Yeah. Um, what about the water, like the creeks and the streams? And I know you <coughs> told me about Bryant right up here from your house. Um, where we're at today is you used to swim a, a horse across it. Oh, yeah. When you say swim a horse, what do you mean by that? Well, we'd just take a saddle off and jump on and we'd go swimming. How, so was that over the horse's back where it was swimming or it was oh, yeah. down? Yeah. That was, uh, well, under that bridge down here on 05. Yeah. Swim a horse under there and then on down a little ways. There's a big swimming hole. And so it would I actually, had a little saddle horse. He liked that. Huh. We'd go swimming. You'd be surprised to weight it put on your legs on a swimming horse bareback. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and now, just so people understand, if we went down there right now, there's not even enough water for you to swim in it no. or me to swim in it. And what was really, like... You look at it, and, of course, the water table, I, and I've heard this about my other grandpa catching catching fish out of this creek right next to our farm that doesn't have water in it other than when we have torrential range in the, in the spring. Um, he used to catch fish out of that creek, and we don't. Right now it's bone dry. Um, when did you really start noticing that huge change? Like In the early 50s, we had a real... Bad drought in the early 50s, just about the time I went to work for the MFA. Yeah. We went, We was in a long drought. How many years? I think it lasted about four years. Wow. We had a ship hay in from all over the country to feed mm. the cattle. And a lot of the old springs that never had gone dry went dry. Wow. That must have been some drought. Uh, and I think that's when we really noticed the water level going down yeah and but and in those days they still weren't it was still kind of and we know the 
the science behind native grasses and in the early successional plants now and how great they are at taking in water um, and storing it in the underground aquifers but um, and how cedar trees don't allow that to happen now in 2017 we have cedar trees everywhere and we don't have we either have closed canopy forest where we don't take in huge amounts of water with that most of it's runoff we have fescue pastures monocultures where water just runs off of them um comparing when we talked about the old pastures and you said it was it was it was wild even though it had a lot of native grasses did it still have a lot of forbs and legumes in it do you remember like ragweed being mixed in and things like that or was it uh was there a lot of like ragweed and things mixed in or was it mainly grass do you remember mainly grass uh ragweeds were usually uh where where it'd been plowed okay something like that yeah the first now it makes sense same thing today if you went out and disc up a field first thing come back is gonna be ragweed yeah what about the the amount of plowing and disking back in those days do you remember much well, we, uh, as I say, when I was pl- farming with horses. Every year plowed? We plowed every year. And that was where you planted corn and... Corn and oats. And, so you planted uh, corn in the spring, oats in the fall? Planted uh, both of them in the spring. Really? So, oh, so you mixed them. So it was spring, oats, and corn? Yeah. In the same fields? No, no. Okay, we separate fields. Separate, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, whoa, you're ahead of your time if you're mixing the and, two. And then our... Regular hay was uh, Lespedes and red red top stuff red, like that. Red top clover. Yeah. No, that... a red top grass. Okay, gotcha. I believe that's the name. I that's I what they seen called it, it for a long time. Oh, gotcha. Huh. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Well, uh, anything else that you notice huge change between back then and now? Oh. Yeah, there's, you know, back then we didn't have electricity through the country or nothing, mm-hmm. phones or anything. Yeah. We were strictly a uh, poor country. Gotcha. Everybody was poor, so we didn't know any better. Yeah. Huh. So, that that to me it's just so fascinating with the amount of the changes that you've seen. So we went from basically everybody – work the land themselves it wasn't really like you if you owned land you you lived and worked on that land there wasn't any like owning it and never seeing it no huh could have been out in 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 kansas and out in there in the wheat country probably yeah yeah but around here it was yeah moons moonshine and and poor (laughs) (laughs) gotcha there's quite a bit of that yeah huh well, I, I don't really, I mean, that's pretty much what I wanted to talk to you this uh, on this podcast about was kind of the natural history of what all went on. And and it's all really makes sense for me because we look at, and I've kind of gone over it a little bit, but in a nutshell, um, the reason I wanted to cover this is because in 2017, we now, we don't have, the water table's extremely low. There's extremely low quail numbers. Um, we do have a lot of deer and turkeys, but even those numbers are a little bit dropping. Um, we have tons of cows, but then we also don't have a, a, a basically a mosaic of a landscape to where it's almost 
changed to where we have little woodlands, we have native grass patches, we have woodlands, we have savannas, we have closed canopy forest. Like it's pretty much closed canopy forest, fescue pastures, which is a monoculture, or we have crop country, which is a monoculture. Um, and we don't really have much of this change. And back in those days, it sounds like the exact opposite. Um, you had little fields that were usually, as you called them, wild, so it was diverse natives. And then you had woodlots, which were grazed at that point. Um, and then you had fire everywhere, and now we don't even have fire. No. Very, uh, it's scary to think about what all has changed. What about out west? When you were out west, was there much logging going on in all those oh, evergreens yeah. out there? Yeah. They were logging them like crazy. Oh, big log, yeah. Huh. What about fire? I went out on one fire out there. You actually uh, helped fight fire out there? One time. I just thought it'd be kind of a lark. I'd fought fire around here, you know. Mm -hmm. So me and another kid went out on the fire. We climbed them mountains and fought fire until always oh, past midnight. And about the time we thought we had it under control, they announced we had it under control. We had a whole crew. Mm -hmm. That thing crested, just boom, it just run off and left us. <laughs> I never went out on another fire. <laughs> Hard work. Oh, yeah. Huh. And I, I, I never was, knew that. Then I got introduced to K-ration. Oh, so that was before the <laughs> that's, war. That's what they, carry, what they give us to carry up there and eat. <laughs> gotcha. So you got introduced to the K-rations on yeah. the fire. So that was before yeah. World War II then, right? Yeah. And yeah. so then you, you got well acquainted with the K-ration in the war, though. Yeah, that was our diet in the war. Ugh. Yeah, I don't, I'm, uh, I'm glad I don't have to eat that. Um, well... That's pretty well. That's pretty well covers everything I wanted to talk to you about. I don't think we're quite up on an hour, um, but you know it's a holiday season. We're ready to get out of here and celebrate Christmas. So we thank you guys for joining us. As always, um, go give us a review on whatever it is you're listening to us on Stitcher, Google, iTunes. If you like what you hear, please give us a review, and uh, and then check us out on our Facebook page. Atlanta Legacy and Instagram. And then also uh, go check out Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network on social media and give them a follow. As always, we hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Yeah.